And welcome back to Fully Equipped. Jonathan Wall here, joined as always by my guys, Chris McCormick and Gene Parenti. Fellas, we got an extra day of golf from the Players' Championship. It was total chaos. The big question, did you enjoy the chaos? Absolutely. That, I was that freezing was, in my own right. Yeah, that was that was a proper finish to a golf tournament. I I, I can't remember the last time I had that much fun watching the final round. And I, I kind of love that it ended on a Monday. Actually, I don't mind some golf tournaments ending on a Monday. It it gives golf center stage on a and I get it. You know, everybody's back to work, but let's be real. If there's golf on a television, you're probably watching it on your computer screen at work anyway. I'm pretty sure there are a bunch of people watching it on YouTube TV and whatever platform you have to watch your your live sports. So I'm sure everybody's gonna watch it regardless. The same way that everybody watches the Thursday, Friday rounds of the the open championship or any of the majors, masters is an obvious one. So everybody's going to watch it, but I did. I loved the chaos. I know it was just a brutal weather week for them, which again goes back to the March date. It's pretty unpredictable down there this time of the year, but you got Cam Smith making 10 birdies in the final round. DJ shoots 29 on his, on his back nine to backdoor top 10. You got Honorbon Lahiri who's in the three hundreds in the official world golf rankings. You know, he all of a sudden has a basically a career week and wins 2.1 million. He's set for the rest of the season, not just from a monetary standpoint, but also because he's getting into a whole bunch of events. It just was it was fun. I mean, Paul Casey hitting his tee shot, perfect tee shot on 16, and it goes into a pitch mark. I mean, the odds of that actually happening were probably you probably have a better chance of winning the lottery. So it was, it was a lot of fun. I like I said, I enjoyed the chaos. Watching Cam Smith, whether he meant to or not, fire at the flag on 17 with a lead. Then, you know, he hits it in the water with his approach. I could keep going on and on. It just, it was a fun tournament. I I did. I enjoyed the wild ups and downs from Sawgrass. And there was there was no shortage of drama or entertaining moments. Like we've kind of talked about in the past, the, the highlight reel moments. There was quite a few of them this week. Yeah. There definitely was. And and again, I don't I don't mind the Monday finish. Maybe, you know, maybe that's something that they consider doing for other events. I realize this one was was not planned. But um speaking of well, Lahiri, did you did you hear about what he did with his irons? No, no, no I missed that one. He added uh about three and a half grams of weight to all his irons. But it's interesting. He said, in, and he was quoted about it, he said, it sounds inconsequential, but it almost makes a 10 to 12 yard difference in our line. Kind of interesting. I, you know, I mean, Ooh, 10 to, 10 to I, 12 I yards. I don't know if I'm buying that one. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's a huge, you know, huge move. Yeah. 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 And, so uh, and I don't know what if that is like placebo effect, but he said he continued to say these last couple of weeks, especially you've been playing really tough golf courses and you hit it four or five yards offline and you can make a six instead of a three. So it's, you know, he's talking about adding the weights, actually helping him tighten his overall dispersion, which I had, I'd never really heard that before. I mean, Chris says as, as a, as a fitter, have you ever heard of somebody adding weight to their irons to to like tighten overall dispersion? I mean, I've heard of it, sure, to give them just a little bit better relationship as far as where the club is through the swing, which obviously gives them an opportunity to control face angle through impact a little more. But I mean, the the margin that he is claiming he saw an improvement, that's and Gene can probably attest to this with his own testing. That's a that's a huge, huge margin, especially for a player of that caliber. I mean, to give you an idea, three to four grams doesn't even move the needle on a robot. I mean, it just, it doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything to face angle. It doesn't do anything to launch or spin. It's, it's, it's borderline inconsequential at that point. So, but, you know, once again, it's golf and the greatest opponent is between the two ears. And if he's believing that those three. Yep. If he's believing that those three grams are giving him and he's swinging more freely and suddenly he's striking the ball more crisply and then, you know, absolutely that that's what caused it. But from a, from a raw data standpoint, man, it takes, it takes 
Uh, Chris, I don't know if you concur in this or not, but I'd say 10 grams and more before you start, you know, really start seeing changes. And then at that point, then you start affecting swing weight and then you start affecting the overall feel of the club. And, you know, then you just get into these kind of cascading relationships of complexity of, are you actually solving the problem or creating three other issues in an attempt to, you know, solve one problem? Exactly. That's, uh, that's kind of where I'm at, where it's just like, you know, I kind of feel like you can definitely solve some problems, but when you start manipulating that much weight, uh, there's, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. I didn't, when he said three and a half grams each head, I thought it's not a lot. That's, it's gotta be, like I said, it's gotta be placebo effect. But again, as Gene, as Gene said, the only thing that matters is between the ears. And if, if it's working for you and you made a recent change, you're going to think that the change made a huge difference. So, Hey, it, it worked for him on a, on a week where he really needed a big finish and he finishes second and, and gets a cool 2.1 million. So, Hey, maybe we should all add some weight to our irons and see if we're going all right. Well, before we discuss another update from the USGA and RNA on their distance insight report, I'll let you know that Fully Equipped is brought to you by our good friends at Rockform and their G-Rock portable wireless golf speaker. Boys, have you gotten your portable wireless golf speaker yet? I haven't been really home yet. Gonna, are you really going to do that again? I no, I'm just asking. It's, it's, it's just a question. Ma- I've been Gene. checking the mail on a daily basis. Okay. And guess what? No speaker, no music on the golf course for Gino, no happy golfer. All your fault, Jay Wall. That's all I got to say. But I'm just going to, you know, I'm not bitter. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it Nobody's go. Until you, it. until you rub it in our noses again next week. I was just asking Gene. It was it was from one friend to another. It's one concerned oh, friend yeah, here. Yeah, I asking tell. another I if his speaker arrived yet. There's, you know, you might want to look up the definition of the word Schadenfreude because that's what you're doing right now. I know. It's all going to come back on me. I listen, I I already know it. It's going to come back tenfold. I, I'm prepared. Uh, Anyway, if you, if you are unfamiliar with Rockform's G-Rock portable wireless golf speaker, this bad boy has a magnet built into it. So if you are like a lot of golfers and you ride around a golf cart, you can slap this guy straight to the cart. It's incredibly powerful. I think I mentioned it last week, but it can pick up a lot of things in your household, which was kind of fun. I picked up my uh, my earpod case, and it definitely did not let it go. So enjoy the the ability to not have any clamps. Although it does have uh, a carabiner clip on the top, so if you'd like to to walk, you can attach this speaker to your golf bag. It's waterproof. It has a rugged drop resistant design, so you don't have to worry about it falling on the concrete. It, like I said, it, it looks like something that's built for the military. It's got unbelievable sound. I was jamming out to uh, the Masters theme song last week. I know the boys like that. And it also has a 24-hour battery life, which is equivalent to about five rounds of golf in a single charge. It frees up your cup holder. Again, there's just a whole lot going on with this speaker. If you don't have one, make sure you pick one up. Go to rockform.com and use promo code FE20 for 20% off a G-Rock speaker. Thanks as always to G-Rock and Rockform in particular for being a sponsor of the podcast. And with that, let's get to the big topic this week. So sitting around on a Wednesday morning as we're recording this pod, and what do I get? an update from the USGA and RNA on their distance inside report. You want to know something? There wasn't a whole lot there. I feel like it was much ado about nothing. What What did you guys make of the latest update from golf's governing bodies? Chris, you want to run with this one first? I, I was going to let you go with it gene we were talking a little bit before we jumped on the pod about just some of these these changes and what does it actually mean for the the pro tours the the major 
headliners so all, and what I'll kind mean? of yeah, I'll kind of outline it. So the the reason why I say it's much ado about nothing is the, the governing bodies did not make any sort of formal decision on some of these insights. They they said in the email, the governing bodies are continuing their work to assess potential future changes that address the long-term cycle of consistent increases in hitting distances, which in my uh, you know small brain makes me think, hey, you're still thinking about it. You're not quite there. Um, and they're still going through. So the updated areas of interest, one is a potential change to the testing method for golf balls. And it states that it's supposed to evaluate the effect of increasing the club head speed used to determine conformance to the overall distance standard at at least 125 miles an hour and to use the optimized launch angle and spin parameters in conjunction with the potential new test conditions for the ODS. The initial velocity test may be modified or eliminated to provide the opportunity for innovation for shorter hitters. The, uh, these potential changes would apply to balls used at all levels of the game. Um, kind of doing some digging into the like the more nitty gritty, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds because I realize that everybody that listens to this podcast isn't a giant gearhead. Uh, maybe you're you're you know kind of new to the game, you're trying to learn more about equipment. But it sounds like increasing the speed that they'd use for this test gene. And correct me if I'm wrong, it might make a lot of the tour balls, the ones that we see out on tour, non-conforming. Well, you know, it, it, a little bit of background on that. So when I started, so the uh, the USG and the RNA both utilized my robots for testing. And to give you an idea, when I started uh, 30 years ago building robots, the max speed of a robot was 110 miles an hour because that was considered the top of the PGA Tour at that time. When I came out with... Um, a machine that I sold 15 years ago to the USGA, the max speed was 120 miles an hour. So now we're talking about potential of max speeds of 130 to 140 miles per hour. Now, what I'm finding in my research, and this isn't 100% confirmed, but this is a theory that I have, that golf equipment simply has not been designed for those speeds in mind and what i mean by that is and i i can attest to this because you know my robot is used by every manufacturer and governing body and they only go up to 120 125 miles an hour so we don't know what's happening at these higher club head speeds with the club face and the golf ball and what the collision dynamics are we've got a really good idea what's happening 120 miles an hour and below but we're into this kind of brave new world situation where we don't know what's going on with the club head and the ball. And so my interpretation of that is they need to start developing uh, testing methodologies in which they can really understand what the effects are of the flight of golf balls at these new speeds that look like they're going to be here to stay for these tour players. Yeah. I, you know, the, the one thing that anytime I see this, any sort of notice from the, the USGA and RNA, I just have to remind myself that a lot of these rules up they're proposing are meant to curb distance at the elite level. You know, they're not, they're not trying to, to hit the, the average amateur, the guy who hits it 220 off the tee. They're not trying to hit him in, you know, in the gut and say, look, you're going to, you're going to hit it 20 yards shorter than you already do. I mean, even even part of the rules in here, getting rid of the initial velocity test for for golf ball, you know, they're talking about allowing for future ball designs to maximize energy transfer, which would it you know would help slower and in, in average swing speed golfers. So they are doing this um, the same way where these you new know, model local rules that they're talking about, and we discussed this on a previous pod. You know what they're looking at doing for elite amateur and in, in the pro events is making the drivers less forgiving, maybe making the head smaller to put a premium on center face contact. But every time that I look at this gene and, and Chris, and you guys can, you know, tell me if I'm, if I'm wrong, but I just think about, okay, let's say you change the rules for, for the elite AMs and the pros, you know, golf, golf is, is about, 
you know, wanting, you want to play your best golf, but you also want to try and you, you attain to want to play the gear that the pros play. You want to be able to play the small cavity back irons. You want to be able to play the blades. You want to be able to get to that point in your game where you can actually do that and do it well. I mean, that's why we watch pro golf. We watch pro golf to be entertained. We also watch it because it's like, well, what are the guys playing? You know, oh man, that those irons are awesome. I would love to play those irons one day. I'm probably not good enough to play them, but you know, maybe that's a goal of mine. You know, now you're talking about, you know, having two sets of rules, you know, having basically the governor off for the, for the AMs. I mean, they're, they're talking about allowing for, for, you know, basically no, no limits for MOI on the, on the AM side, the guy that's not an elite level player, but you're talking about really curbing things on the pro side. I just don't know if, if like, if, amateur golfers are really going to be okay with that. I think some guys probably think about like the anchor band, you know, even though it was only really for, for competition and you could still play the putter. I know a lot of guys, guys that I know specifically were, weren't going to play it because they didn't want to be branded a cheater. I just don't know how many guys would be willing to play gear that didn't have a governor on it and then watch the guys out on tour play stuff that that's got a different set of rules. I don't know. Maybe I'm way off base. What, what do you think? So my, my perspective, these guys would be willing to sell their souls for 10 yards more, much less. I, I mean, everybody that I talk to, you know, and I, 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 it, Chris, you, I think you can probably attest to this. It, what's the big question. I want to hit it further. I, you know, the demand and, and it, it, this, this is the most exciting a paragraph two of this model local rules is the most exciting thing I have seen the USGA and the RNA do in my entire career in the golf industry. They're finally addressing the dreaded B word bifurcation, separating the pros from the rest of us and allowing yes. the manufacturers to innovate and to go crazy. My analogy has always been this. Imagine if the AFL CIO you know, one of the top unions in the country made all of its decisions for its union members based on what the top 100 CEOs of corporations did. There's no correlation between the two and it would be madness. But yet we have this amateur body that is making rules based on what the elite of the elite golfers have done. And there's no correlation between their game and my game. And so this addressing to me is potentially revolutionary because number one, they can address and deal with the tour and the elite amateurs, however they see fit. But number two, they can finally allow uh, equipment manufacturers to innovate. And what I mean by that is someone swinging 70 miles an hour, they can put a really thin face on there, get a high MO or uh, a high rebound velocity and maximize distance for that player. And it doesn't affect a tour player whatsoever. So I am actually, when I read this this morning, I had the 180 degree uh, reaction that you did, Jonathan. I was like popping the champagne because I was like, <laughs> hey, this is going to keep me busy for the next five years, innovating, coming up with new ideas. Chris, what, what's your what's your thought on it? No, I'm... I'm really happy to see that there is going to be some separation there. I was, I was immediately drawn back to the the long putter and the anchored putter kind of controversy that we had to where, okay, they do some restrictions and limitations on the PGA tour and the national tours, but how does that really help or hurt those of us in the amateur world? Like why would they need to limit the use of that particular piece of equipment for somebody that, you know, may only have that as an option to get any kind of consistent result with putting. You know, it's, it just kind of irks me a little bit that everybody gets kind of looped into the same pool when it comes to the restrictions and things of that nature. As those of us in the amateur world that need some help or need some extra distance, and Jay Wall was kind of running down the, the national averages as broken down by I'll, you know, I'll handicap brackets. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that that alone just tells me we, the collective golfing body, don't necessarily need these restrictions that are being imposed upon you know, the elite of the elite. Yeah, well, I, I, it, I totally it, agree. 
The, the other thing that's really interesting about this looking forward that I'm fascinated by, and, and we touched on this on a previous pod, how when scoring averages went up, viewership went down for the PGA. I was going to mention this. And, yeah, and, and, and I'm really curious because the, um, the PGA has always been lockstep with the USGA and the RNA on these rules. So let's say that they come in and let's say that they limit the golf ball. and Let's say they limit MOI, as you were saying, Jonathan. It's really interesting because if you go back and test a persimmon head now, um, you hit it on the toe, it goes so far to the left and so short, and you hit it on the heel and it goes so far to the right, You know something called gear effect. But the bottom line is miss hits are much more penal than they are with current equipment. So let's say you do those two things and now all of a sudden, you know, even par uh, wins a golf tournament and it's not called the U S open. Are people going to be tuning in to see guys miss greens and do things? I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be real interesting to see what the unintended consequences there are for quote unquote, the elite players and distance, because, you know, as we were talking about, the USGA, I mean, the, sorry, the PGA could easily set up these golf courses to limit distance by simply growing the rough from 320 to 370 yards, but they choose not to because they know that that is where viewers tune in to see big drives and pins getting stuck. So, yeah, that's, that's that, what we I were think kind of talking about. Yeah. It's the highlight reel and the hero shot. I mean, that's yeah. what people love to see. Yeah, that's that's why that's <laughs> why I, we turn, I, tune in to watch professional sports in general. I mean, we want we want to see Steph Curry hitting you know eight threes in a game and and letting go of the ball and turning around and running back the other way. Like it's it's stuff that the average hooper, golfer, whatever you know sport you play recreationally, you want to see the pros do it at a different level. So. And I, and I think that aspirational aspect is what uh, provides the entertainment. And if you take that away, um, then are you going to, you know, do you tune in to, um, you know, kind of, you know, I don't even know what the level is below the corn ferry, but, you know, th- these lesser tours don't drive a lot of traffic because people want to see the best of the best. They don't want to see the third or fourth, you know, uh, league type thing. And if you start limiting equipment, you could start seeing those effects on tour. Yeah. So as Chris mentioned, I was running down the driving distance averages for, I mean, it was pretty much below a six all the way up to a 21 plus handicap that the USGA released. And if you want a reminder as to why, the USGA and RNA can't make this like an across the board rule if they were going to going to reduce the spring effect on a driver face or how the golf ball performs it's i'm reading these numbers now i thought i thought these numbers were were fairly short chris at least on the top end here seems to think that i'm maybe i may be wrong maybe because he falls into one of these distance categories Hey, 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 now. hey, hey, I know. And, <laughs> hey but, let's not get personal but here. here. But here's, here are the numbers, just, just so you're aware of, of how short we all are. Below a six, the average driving distance is 239.2 yards, plus or minus 2.7. So, you know, maybe up to 240 plus. Six to 12 handicap range, 219.8. 13 to 20, 200. 21 plus. 176 and they took the overall average of those handicap ranges and you come out to an overall distance of 215 yards and this is this is male golfers or this is all golfers this is this is amateur male golfers amateur male golfers i mean i can tell you with the i mean i've worked with everybody i mean literally every type of player you can possibly imagine and a large percentage of those being the the weekend warriors and our our amateur friends out there that are just trying to get it around. And I mean, two forty to two fifty is a good poke for a lot of players in that amateur rank. And you have several really accomplished, good, good players that maintain that single digit low to almost scratch index. That 
I mean, they're a little, little more seasoned when it comes to the age bracket. And the driving distance, 230 to 240, is a, a great drive for them. I mean, we look at our friend, uh, you know, Mr. Cooper, and, I mean, he's hitting it 230, 240, and plays a, a single digit on a string. I mean, hasn't, on hasn't a missed string. a fairway since the, since the mid-70s, probably. <laughs> yeah. What do, you, what do you think? Well, I've got the numbers here. What do you think the average overall distance, driving distance is for amateur female golfers? And I'm taking into account the similar handicap ranges below a six all the way up to, they did a 29 plus. Uh, 180. Chris? I would have to say I'm going to take the over. If I had to put a number on it, I would say 95. You're, you're both way off. Or way off. Okay. 147.9. Wow. What? Yep. 147.9. All right. So that one, that's the one that makes me scratch my head and go, okay. So when we look at box sets, when it comes to all, always for me, it reels back to equipment and setups. So when we're looking at box sets for, you know, modeling our bags after who it is that we watch on TV to play, for me, that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense or justify the necessity to have a 14 club set. And it just kind of reinstills in my mind what I label as a, as a transition set to where, you know, maybe we skip every other iron or only have one fairway wood in the bag after the driver. It just makes more sense. I mean, how can you have enough justification to have distance gapping accurately spaced to have 14 clubs in the bag if you're only hitting it that far off the tee? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the other interesting aspect to this. Just under 10% of golfers have handicaps. So we have a massive pool of golfers that are unaccounted for in this study. And if I had to guess, that means it's going down the distances. If you, you know, if you did a sample size of a decent sample size of golfers with that, you know, I don't know exactly how you, you know, rate them or grade them because they don't have handicaps. But the, the, the point is, you know, I think the, what's the average handicap, like 15 or something, but you know, it's estimated that if you take in uh, all of the golfers that don't carry a handicap, it gets up to somewhere between 19 and 20 is kind of the average. So, you know, it, 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 back to the back to this bifurcation or separation of the rules, all that means is for all those players, they're just going to be able to enjoy the game a little bit more by allowing the, the equipment manufacturers to innovate and do so in a way that does not affect the tour whatsoever. If you give, if you give a face that's got, you know, two to 3% more ball velocity to a guy swinging 80 miles an hour, they're going to get maybe four to five yards. If they maximize maybe 10, you give that to Bryson and he's got another 25 yards, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's a massive difference. So I understand why they're doing what they're doing, but, there's such a large portion of this um, golfing population that could benefit from the innovations that I know the manufacturers are just chomping at the bit, ready to you know uh, jump on. So I, I'm guessing that the manufacturers are you know reading this today and having just starry-eyed glee because they you know see the potential not to have to have everything constricted, but to actually be able to innovate and create a more enjoyable game. Gene, do you think there's, uh, there's potentially any, I don't know, charitable donations from the OEMs being made to some of these uh, entities for ah, some type of sponsorship or anything along those lines to maybe push this one across the finish line? Chris Tinfoil Hat McCormick. That's what they call him. Yeah, I gotta I gotta say, if that was the case, they would have done it a long time ago. And I, I can honestly say the USGA and the RNA, they um at least in my humble opinion, they are above the fray. And and, and trust me, I have 
I have been, uh, well, I haven't been very public because I haven't had a public platform until this one. But, uh, you know, in, in private, I have, uh, I have been openly critical of them for the, for the main reason that I just did not believe what their main focus amateur golfers had to do with hosting one event a year in which professionals played in, you know, and it, it just, it, or counting two, if you count the women's U.S. Open as well. And it just, it always seemed to me absurd when I would watch them, you know, um, analyzing elite players and then making rules based on that. So I, I see this as uh, an incredible, uh, you know, uh, possibility to really help amateur golfers enjoy the game, help grow the game, while also addressing their valid concerns of, you know, the 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 elite players being too strong but once again they're only going to be able to govern one or two events and then that comes down to the big x factor of what's the pga going to do and do they follow in lockstep or do they suddenly go "Eh, it's been nice working with you guys but we're going to uh we're going to allow these guys to play whatever they want because we want 21 under to to win the tournament on sunday yeah I think it could, I mean, I agree with both of you. I think this is, this is a great thing for amateur golfers because if you're turning, I mean, I think about it like restrictor plates in racing. I mean, if you're, if you're making it to where these drivers can go as fast as possible for the guy that doesn't hit it very far, that's a great thing. It's just, I think it's getting past that stigma of playing gear. That's, you know, quote unquote, non-conforming. You sort of have to get past that that stigma. I mean, it's not non-conforming anymore because it, it conforms to the, to the rules that were set by the USJ and the RNA. That's the only thing that I could see being a potential hurdle. But again, if the USJ and the RNA are saying you're good to go, then I, I don't think you would have any problem. So anyway, it, it's going to be interesting to see which of these, um, you know, areas of interest as they're called end up becoming rules or proposals and, and sort of what the, the responses from the manufacturers so far they've been pretty quiet and I think they will be until all of this comes down the pipe and we get something a little bit more concrete, but we'll continue to update it as we go along. The only other topic that I wanted to get into this week, you know, again, not a whole lot going on at the players. We mentioned, we mentioned Lahiri is Cam Smith's golf ball. Now Cam's going to be our interview this week. So look for that here at the end of this episode, but I was combing through Getty images like I normally do, and I noticed, per the usual, per usual, I noticed that he had the line, the side stamp on his golf ball has has a line, sharpie line, no big surprise, but the line was facing forward, meaning that when he's looking at his golf ball, he's seeing the Titleist logo looking up at him, not the line, which seemed a little bit out of the ordinary to me, and so after doing some more digging. I found a video that Titles had posted with him where he went through how he marks his golf ball. And he actually said he goes in and out of lining it up and not. It just depends on how I'm feeling. Some days, some days I feel like the line is straight. Other days my eyes just aren't quite right. So I'll just line it up with the Titles logo and freewheel it. I kind of love that. I mean, have you guys ever gone in and out of, of lining up your golf ball? You know, maybe you rely on it and maybe in the middle of a round you change it or you change it from round to round or is, is cam just a complete head case? Like a lot of us, one who's also very uh, rich. I might add. Exactly. exactly. It so can make a million. Got a, <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that just in working with players, I've, I've seen just about everything when it comes to ball marks and alignment and optics and all kinds of stuff with how these guys kind of set their up. I mean, or set their ball up rather it, for me personally, I I'm somebody that rotates the golf ball to get just a blank slate. I don't want to see anything. I just want a white portion of the golf ball to look at. And same thing. The putters that I've had the most success with are ones that don't have any lines or any dots, no optics on top of it whatsoever. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, Jason, Jason Day's dealt with that too. I mean, you mentioned not having a line on it. It's Jason Day was relying on a line for years and he told me he went away from it just because he became far too reliant on that line. 
and he started to miss his mark. I mean, we, we see the opposite. I mean, Paul Casey this past week added a sight dot, just a small dot to the top line of his putter because he, after doing some video analysis, noticed that he was striking the ball out closer to the toe. So now he has that little sight dot and it kind of helps square him up. So he's not doing anything, any, anything on the way back and the way through to modify his stroke to try and hit it out of the center. So that, you know, there, there are different schools of thought there, but yeah, I, I'm kind of with you, Chris. I mean, you can go both directions. It's just all about trying to free your mind up to be able to see the line. What are you going to say, Gene? Sorry for interrupting. Oh, no, no. I was going to concur with both of you that you can become obsessed with the line and you start forgetting the break and the speed. And I, I, I had my own personal experience, same kind of thing, where I was bending down and I was so obsessed with the line. And then I'd go to stand back up and then I'd go, oh, I didn't line that up the right way. And then I'd bend down again. And now I'm in this weird loop of, and we're talking, you know, degrees and so you can get into caught in the minutia and i i did what chris um has done i went to kind of a free-flowing um you know approach where i want it clear i want the line on my putter that's my line that i'm concerned about but i'm no longer and i want to as as you know we talked about with uh will zalatoris hitting it on the toe you know at 18 at tory i want to make sure that i make center strike contact control velocity and direction and leave the rest to the uh, putting gods. That was, I mean, that's exactly why I made that switch. I was so obsessed over the line and would just sit there and grind on alignment, grind on alignment. And then my speed control was terrible. Right. Yep. hundred, hundred percent. And, and you end up wasting a lot of everyone else's time looking like a complete whack job. You're not wrong. <laughs> and oh, you still, th- and you, and you still three jacked it. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And you give it the old Mr. Three wiggle. Yeah. Back in the timeout closet, it goes. There's only one other very important note that I need to, to go through here. And that's Scotty Scheffler. He made his official debut as a tailor-made staffer at the players championship. Uh And part of that agreement was, uh, driver fairway irons. Part of the agreement had to hold my breath because it's coming that, that tailor-made stealth is coming. It's the grim reaper. It's coming for the for the Nike VR Pro Limited, but at least for one week, the VR Pro Limited it's holding on. It's it's like I said, it's it's on borrowed time. I get it, but for those that were were curious, maybe it's just me. Nike VR Pro Limited still in the bag of players. God bless it. I'm hoping it's in the bag next week when I'm in Austin for the match play because I got to get some some photos to remember it for posterity's sake. Last photos there. Yeah, there we go. Anyway, all right. Well, with that, I think it is time to get to this week's interview. As I mentioned, we have newly minted Players Championship winner Cam Smith on the pod. Cam goes through goes through his gear, um, everything from the black finish on a whole lot of his clubs, including the shafts, his golf ball. It's a fun interview. Enjoy it. Before we get to Cam, I wanted to let you know that this episode of Fully Equipped is brought to you by Golf Magazine Top 100 instructor, George Gankis' training aid, the G-Box. The G-Box is the absolute best training aid to help you make a full and complete body turn. To accomplish that complete turn, both beginners and professionals can utilize the G-Box in such a way as to not only promote the correct depth of backswing, but also proper width of the arms throughout their swing. The G-Box is not only easy to use, but provides the same immediate feedback from specific drills that George Gankus provides to all his players during their lessons. Simply said, the G-Box is the most versatile training aid in golf today for perfecting both your backswing and downswing drills. To pick up your G-Box, simply hover golf.com's pro shop and use promo code fully equipped for 10% off. That's fully equipped, F-U-L-L-Y-E-Q-U-I-P-P-E-D, one word, at the golf.com pro shop. With that, let's get to Cam. All right, Cam, congrats on the incredible Players' Championship win, and thanks for joining us on Fully Equipped. No worries, mate. So can you recall having a better week 
with the putter than the one you just pr- produced at TPC Sawgrass? Um, no. Well, I think I've had some weeks that have equaled it, but I may have not hit my iron so good. Um, and so it kind of becomes unnoticed. But when, when you're hitting it good and you're putting it good, obviously you're, you're up the top end of the leaderboard. So um, it was good to mix those two. Yeah. Was is there anything when you're having a good putting week? Is it do you chalk it up to like a like a thought that you have when you're standing over the putt? Is it just confidence from seeing the ball go in? What what kind of leads to those weeks where it's just like you feel like you're burying everything inside? Um, yeah, I think it's just seeing the ball go in. Um, obviously, early in the week um, through the practice rounds, I think you get to you know you kind of know how your week's going to go. I guess on the greens there. Um, there are some tricky reads out there. Um, yeah, and I've just seen a, a ton of putts go in early in the week, and I just felt really comfortable over the putter. You've been using a Scotty Cameron 009M for a little over a year. I believe that the title guy said going back to 2021 Sony Open. But before that, I recall you were using a mallet. Do you remember what the reason was behind the change going from a mallet back to a blade putter? Um, I think... I just like the shape of a, a blade putter a little bit a little bit better. I, I love the shape of that double O nine. Um but I I love the hosel on the on the mallet putter. I was using a uh maybe a one and a half ceruleum or something like that. Um and it had this nice little like slant neck and I just asked him to build one up with a double O nine head with that neck and um yeah, it's just felt really good. I feel like I can um I don't know, just just really feel confident with releasing that putter for some reason. Now I know some guys out on tour, I'm not going to name names that even when they're putting well, they still, I'll, I'll see them out on tour and they're practicing with different putters on the practice screen. Maybe they go back to their gamer, but they're still messing around with other putters. When, when you've got a putter like this one that you are using, that you're winning with, I mean, are, are you testing any other putters or is it pretty much, this is what I'm rolling with and I'm not worried about anything else that's out there. Yeah, no, I, it usually takes me a, a couple of bad putting months um, before I look into anything else. Um, I have changed a few times over the course of my professional career, I think. But, um, yeah, like I said, I just feel really confident with this one. Really, I really feel like it, it just flows nice. So I did some digging and noticed that you have a pretty eclectic mix of stamps on your putter. Um, I think about in the back cavity, there's like a circle T and a Scotty dog and a skull and a Cameron crown. I think there's a, a paintbrush on the heel. Uh, do you like to have a say in what gets stamped on your putter or do you let Scotty kind of go to town on that? Um, I usually do have a say on what gets stamped in it, but this one I was just like, uh, you know what? I'm probably not going to use it. So you guys, just, <laughs> you guys just go to town and then, um, yeah, I received it and, obviously fell in love with it and um yeah so that's that's the reason uh behind it interesting so you actually didn't really think that this one was was going to have a shot when when you first got it not not when i first got it but when we were building it i'm like oh i just don't think that neck's going to work with that head because it's such such a wide head and there's so much like mass out wide that i thought that neck it would almost have too much swing to it um yeah, and I, I mean, I hit a few putts with it, and I just fell in love with it. Yeah. So I was I was going through some photos of you from from last week at Players, and I noticed there was one where you were set up at a dress with your putter, but the side stamp which you had marked with a sharpie was actually facing forward. And I, I started to do a little bit of digging, and there's a video of you that you did with Titleist back in 2020 going over how you mark your golf ball. But you also mentioned um, in the video, you said you go in and out of lining up the the ball at a dress. And you said, it just depends on how you're feeling. You said some days you like to line it. You feel like the line is straight. Other days, your eyes just aren't quite right. So you'll line it up with the Titleist logo and freewheel it, which I love the fact that you kind of aren't just set on lining it up one way. How long have you been doing that? And do you change how you line up the golf ball over the course of a round? Um, no, I, I've been doing that now for probably since that interview, <laughs> probably a couple of years That's now. I haven't, I haven't used the line 
um, yeah, I just line up the Titleist logo, uh, make it look pretty, and then I don't have a line on my putter either. I put with a dot, so it's it's really kind of um, it's just feel. It's interesting that you mentioned that because another Aussie that that I know, Jason Day, he uh, told me the same thing. Kind of removing the line sort of frees you up to to be able to to kind of use the feel more. So it's interesting that you actually do the same thing. Um, all right. So from talking to the Titleist guys, I was told that you might be one of the easiest that they work with in terms of getting acclimated to new gear. Um, JJ and crew said that they literally give you something new and you feel comfortable enough to add it to the bag almost immediately. Would you say that's, that's fairly accurate? Yeah. I've never been one to hesitate, uh, with the new equipment. Um, I don't know. I feel like the guys do a really good job. Um, obviously they're trying to make their product better and better and, um, I just feel really confident in, in what they've, you know, what they've done, what they've built. So, um, yeah, I've always been one to put it straight in the bag and kind of um, take it as it comes. And sometimes it'll last forever and sometimes it'll last a few weeks and then a little switch up, but um, there hasn't been too many of those. Do you do most of your testing when you're on site early in the week at a tournament or do you like to get your gear sent back to your place to test it on your own? Um, I'll, I'll test it with the guys out on tour. I feel like, um, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm obviously, obviously there to play golf and I feel like that's when I'm swinging at my best is out on tour. So, um, yeah, there's no reason for me to bring it, bring it back here and test it while I'm working on my swing as well. So is it, is it fair to say that you're definitely not a gear tinker when it comes to your setup? Yeah, no, definitely not. Yeah. So with the masters coming up, I know some guys will alter their setup for the majors. Do you, do you make any adjustments to your gear setup as the, the season goes on, or is it pretty much what you're starting the season with is what you're going to see in the bag come, you know, the tour championship? Yeah, mate, it'll, it'll all stay the same. <laughs> you're a pretty boring guy when it comes to your setup, Cam, <laughs> but I guess it works. I, I like to keep things the same. Um, the only thing I will say, the only thing I change probably week to week is um, my bounces on my lob wedge. Um, I travel with three three lob wedges, all with different grinds and bounces, um, and that just kind of depends on how the course is set up or how it's playing. So that actually leads into my next question about about your lob wedges. What what are the grinds that you have on those three, if, if you happen to know them offhand, and how long have you been – uh, traveling around with, with more than one? Is it something you've been doing since before you turned pro or, or is it something you kind of learned after you turned pro? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I travel with a, a 60 uh, T grind. Um, it's got about four or five degrees of bounce on it. Um, and it has like a, a dual, dual bounce, I guess. Um, and then I travel with a uh S grind that's got 10 degrees of bounce and a K grind that's got six degrees of bounce. Um, yeah, so they're all very different. Um, it's probably something that I've been doing now for, I don't know, probably five or six years. I, I felt as though the, the courses over here varied so much that, um, I was having to spend too much time changing my technique from week to week. So, um, yeah, I went to Aaron, um, the Vokey guy on tour, and uh, we sorted that out, and um, it's kind of what we come up with. And I've been rolling with that set up for yeah, five or six. So your your setup is is the envy of a lot of gearheads out there because you have the black finish on on literally everything: the irons, the wedges. You've got a black finish on the putter. Um, even your iron and wedge shafts are, are black. When did you get stuck on the black finish as kind of being your calling card when it comes to your gear? Um, I mean, as soon as they bought it out, um, as soon as it was available, I fell in love um, with the AP2s. They were way back when. Um, and yeah, I just fell in love with it. I love the way that it looked. I think it looks a lot cleaner and I think the... I think the club looks a lot smaller, um, which I don't I don't know, but for some reason I just like it. I, I like a smaller looking club. I don't want I don't want one to 
look real chunky and, you know, like a big shovel looking down on it. So, yeah, I, I like it. Um, and, yeah, I've been rolling with that for probably, yeah, maybe three generations. So, so, now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, I've, I was about to say, I haven't, can't remember the last time that I didn't see you with the black finish. Um, so I know that you have a lot of new gear in the bag. The only club that I noticed that was, I mean, it's not even that old, but your TS2 seven wood, what is it about that seven wood? I mean, it's, it's had some staying power in the bag. What, what is it about that club that you like it, that keeps you continuing on with, with that one? Um, I just love the shape of it. I love uh, and I just feel really comfortable with that. That's probably, you know, if I did have a favorite club in the bag, that that's probably it. Um, to be honest, I feel like I can hit so many different shots with it. I can hit it so many different distances. Um, and yeah, that's probably one that um, I'll hang on to. I think for the rest of my career, um, it'll take it will take a lot to to get that club out of my hand. So I know you have a lot of mates that that play golf, guys that aren't on the pro tour, and I'm sure they pepper you with questions about how to get better. But I'm curious if if they were to come to you and say, "Cam, uh, give me a good gear tip, something that would help me get the most out of the clubs in my bag." What would you say is that one tip for them when it comes to their equipment? <laughs> I would say spend more time on the chipping green. <laughs> 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 very sage advice from from a guy who's coming off a huge week with the short game yeah um no i would say just just go and get fitted i think um i think that's probably the best thing um you know i still have mates um back back at home in australia that'll buy clubs off the shelf and wonder why they're you know they're, they're not any different to the last ones and i keep telling them that they have to go and get fitted so i would say find the local you know, the local guy and, um, yeah, go and get it done. Right. Uh, so Cam, I know one of the things that, that you said uh, a little while back, they, they were asking about the money on tour and you, you pretty much said you're set, you know, the only thing that you would buy with, with the money is more fishing gear. And I've got to, I'm curious after a big week at the players is, is there more fishing gear in your future? <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really don't know. Um, I haven't haven't really thought about it, to be honest. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Um, I feel like my fishing setup now is, is pretty handy. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see. Uh, that's awesome. Cam, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks again for the time and congrats on the win. Thanks, mate. And that'll do it for episode 132 of Fully Equipped. As always, if you want the gear news, check us out on social channels. We are at Fully Underscore Equipped on Twitter and at Fully Equipped Golf on Instagram. Thanks as always for listening. See you next week.